and then we played. So this morning, I have a friend who brought me a belated pastor appreciation gift. It, it's, a, it's a sweatshirt throw that, if I were to open it up, it would just have this big Georgia G on it. I needed it last night because it looks like it would absorb a lot of tears. Even art, you know, I, I, this morning I thought, I went to my closet, I looked at my all-black shirt, I was tempted, and then I thought, no, 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 I need to rise above this. And then I come, and during the praise and worship practice time, art reads from Psalm 20. So, Vic, I'm going to trick you here. Could you go back and find verse 6 of Psalm 20? He read it to you here just a minute ago, and, and maybe you can, okay, there it is. Now, now, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven and with the saving might of his right hand. Next verse. You know how that read to me? This morning I listened to Art and I went, some trust in defense and offense, but we trusted in the name of the Lord our God because they collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. That, that's my life. Let's pray. Father God, we do have a tendency, perhaps an overwhelming tendency, to put our trust in horses and chariots, in people, in processes, and you alone are the one that stands upright. They all collapse at some point or the other. They fall, they tumble and fall, and we with them, if that is where our strength, our focus our energy is. But this morning, you bring us back like you brought the people of Nehemiah back to trust in you and in you alone. Help us as we study together in chapter 10 is my prayer in your name, sir. Amen. Good, 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 good. Thank you. Find Nehemiah 10, please. And while you're doing that, I just want to tell you, I want to recount for you all the incredible things that are going on at Avalon Church. You, may, you can't be involved in all of them. There are so many things that are going on. But here, let me share with you. The children's ministry just had a fall festival last Sunday. Hundreds, hundreds of people from our community came on campus and got exposed to people who love Jesus. And in fact, they wandered into the lobby to go to the, to the restroom. And then many, many people said to my wife, who was out there guarding the lobby, you know, hey, can we go in there and see the big room? What's behind the doors? And so Debbie just opened the doors and people came in and she got a chance to tell them about you and the way we worship on Sunday mornings. It was exciting. Lisa our, Hernandez, our children's director, has instituted some prayer cards. You know how I held up the, the ones for you to put in the offering. In the fourth and fifth grade, particularly, every Sunday, the teachers are saying, do you have a prayer request? It's great. Man, the teachers are so excited to get those prayer requests and say, please pray for my dog. Because dogs need prayer, apparently, right? But they're knowing that it's okay. It's okay to bring petitions and things to God and that our teachers care and are praying for them. Children's ministry. The youth is, they're just dy dynamic and exploding. If you are a parent of a middle or high school student, whether you're involved in or should be involved in uh, the 220 student ministries, next Sunday, next Sunday afternoon, instead of their normal youth time, they're going to have a dinner, a family Thanksgiving dinner. You can get more information about that out in the lobby today. We want to invite all you parents to come and be involved in a Thanksgiving dinner. 1825 young adults 
man, they got 55 people signed up to go to the Passion Conference in Atlanta in January. And you can help them out because you can't escape today without going through one door or the other where there's going to be bowls of chili, which you can gladly make a donation for. More is better. Help them get there. Life groups. Tomorrow will be the second meeting of our Lifehouse project that Ira is leading us in, a new and additional way to do life groups. Uh, it's not too late. See Ira. He'll be there, and then he'll be there to be involved in what's happening with our life groups. The men's ministry, we went on a camp out last weekend, which was a, just an exceptional uh, experience for the, the men who went, and they just they did a second Thursday outing. We got a men's breakfast coming up the first Saturday in December. Men, an opportunity for you. Women, Friday, Friday evening, December the 1st, there's going to be a cup of Christmas tea get-together for y'all. It's going to be hosted in, uh, in Amy Wade's home. You can sign up for it, get more information about it out in the lobby after church. I hope you'll do that. That's an opportunity to just gather together and, and enjoy each other, but enjoy each other in the name of Jesus Christ. Spanish ministry. Yesterday I was up here for some other meetings and the Spanish women were having a breakfast over there. Do those people, do those ladies know how to eat? It's great. I love going over there and pretending that I'm really glad to see them and just really look at their food. No, I am. They are precious people. And when they worship and when they praise and when they study, it's an extraordinary thing. Missions. You just heard Ray and Anne-Marie talk about missions. They're already lined up to go back to Mexico in, in, uh, in the spring break in March. Uh, also, we have a group going to Romania during the spring break in March. And this afternoon is going to be their first training meeting here in the, at the church in the, in the back classroom because as Ray and Anna Marie said, they don't just say, you want to go, get on the plane. They have them totally prepared to do ministry where they go. It's, a, it's an incredible thing. I'm excited about that. Community outreach. Friday evening, we had a whole bunch of people here that put together uh, uh, Samaritan Purse Christmas boxes that were going to get distributed around the world, and they put together flood buckets to help people who are in areas that are affected by floods. It was our community came together inside the building where Avalon Church worships, and if you saw my email, and, and uh, you'll see the box that's out there in the lobby, it's time for our Thanksgiving Adopt-A-Family food drive. And so canned foods and, and uh, potatoes and gravy and all that stuff, uh, bring, bring it. Bring it this week during the, during the week. Bring it next Sunday. We want to have lots and lots of meals available to our community. Prayer. A week from tomorrow night, on the 20th, is our every third Monday prayer gathering. We invite you to come and just spend an hour, maybe more, as the Spirit leads, just focusing together and agreeing in prayer. It's a sweet time. One of the meetings I had yesterday at 8 o'clock was with our deacons. I am excited about Hernan Diaz, who was our new lead deacon, offering to serve there. And we had some of our men gathered and, and were visioning for how deacons are going to be even more effective, more visible I loved sitting with those men, and they are, you're going to hear much more about our deacon ministry in the days to come. After I got done with them, we had a Discovering Avalon class, a Discovering Avalon membership class. Between Monday night's class and yesterday's class, we had 24 people who came, got excited about Avalon Church, without a moment's hesitation, filled out their membership forms, and we're just adding you know, to the great work that's going on at Avalon Church. 
We're going to do one more December 4th. You bear that might that, that evening, Monday, December the 4th, one more time before our annual meeting on Monday, December the 11th. There are all kinds of opportunities. We are moving forward with opportunities. I hope, I encourage that you'll come along in one or more of those that I've listed. One more thing, and then we'll get right in to Nehemiah. The pastor search team, is we, uh, they have prayed it down to three men, all quality men, all men who have special gifts. And now, between, now we are going to have some face-to-face meetings with those men, the pastor search team and myself. And then the Lord is going to lead us. The Lord's going to make it really clear because you're praying, we're praying, and we'll, we'll have a, uh, a man and his family who will come perhaps sometime in December to meet you and talk with you and preach to you. And, uh, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to select a next pastor. That's exciting times. It's exciting times. Hey, let's get back to Nehemiah, all right? The book of Nehemiah is, it starts off as being a story about rebuilding physical walls in a city of Jerusalem. But really, it's much, much more. As we've gone through nine chapters and as we go through the 10th, we're going to understand that it was more than just putting up the walls, although that was miraculous. It was really about rebuilding a people and a nation that had just kind of gone into chaos and needed to be brought back together again. And so over the course of the last nine or ten chapters, this, the Jewish remnant has worked together. They've fought together. They've supported one another. They've pushed through numerous kinds of challenges. They've confessed to one another. They've confessed together to God. We're going to discover today that they are making commitments together, and they are experiencing victory together. They've gone from chaos back into a unified people that are dedicated to God. This is our story. This is our story. In our season of disruption that occurred earlier and loss and the transition we've been in, we have been working together and fighting together and supporting one another and confessing to one another and confessing to God. And we're going to learn about commitments this morning so that we too can continue to experience the victory that God has in mind for us. Let's pick up in Nehemiah 9, the last verse of Nehemiah 9 from last week, verse 38. They had had that, as you recall, they'd had that big prayer about recounting God's history, and then they come to this conclusion. Because of all this, because of all the awareness we have of what God has done for us and what we've failed to do for God, because of all this, we make a firm commitment, a covenant, and it's going to be in writing. And on this sealed document are the names of our princes, our princes, our Levites, and our priests. They are going to, as an entire nation, make a covenant, a binding agreement with God. And the agreement is going to include oaths and vows. If you go down to verse 29, it says, uh, verse 29 of uh, chapter 10, Join with our, their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. This is serious business. We don't talk much about vows, well, marriage, marriage vows, but we don't talk about it much in the context of us in this room. To a Jew, vows and oaths were very, very serious business. In, in Numbers, Numbers 30, in verse 2, Numbers 30, verse 2, Moses says, 
If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He will do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Okay, if you make a vow, do it. Ecclesiastes, Solomon has something a little stronger to say in Ecclesiastes 5. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Okay, there it is. 5, verses 4 and 5. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for God has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not fulfill it. So to the Jews, this was, this was serious stuff. Making a vow promises to God. And they even said, and God, we are so serious about this that you can curse us. You can bring curses down on us if we don't fulfill it. And God's got a whole bucket full of curses available to him. And they understood that. But they said, this is how serious we are about what we're doing. You feel free to bring curse. We have decided to follow Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus. They've decided to follow God. So they are going to make a covenant. And it's going to be very personal. It's a covenant that involves all of us, as we'll see in a minute. All of the nation that's there is going to be a part of this firm commitment in writing. It's not we need them to be really committed to that. It's we. It's very personal. Each one of us is saying we will make this on the risk of a curse. It's very practical. There are going to be in this rest of chapter 10 very specific things that they are to do measurable, tangible things. And it's very public. Everybody gets to hear the vow because we're going to read it out loud. Everybody is going to get an opportunity to sign on the dotted line. And everybody gets to watch everybody either do it or not do it. While it may, may be helpful for you and me to make vows and, and oaths to God today, uh, I, I just want us to remember this line on the bottom of the screen. Yeah, 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 I'm going to succeed. I'll be a better Christian, whatever that means, if I just make promises to God. Well, no, not actually. We don't succeed as Christians because we make promises to God, but because we believe the promises of God and we act upon them. Do you see the difference? It's not because of what I do in my own strength. I'm going to do this, God, but in actuality, it's you have promised and I am going to act according to what you have promised. In chapter 10, the, the Jews are going to make four oaths, four promises to God. However, every one of them is rooted in a trust, a willingness to believe God to fulfill his promises. It's not just, we're going to do this. They understand that they're saying, we are willing to do this only believing that you said you would do that. And we trust you in it. Each promise is not just about what they will do, but about what they believe God will do. I've entitled the message Back to the Basics because there is nothing new in chapter 10. It's not Nehemiah going, wow, you know, if we just did this, it would be all better. There's nothing new in Nehemiah 10. 
actually what they're doing is they're making a commitment to actually do the guidelines that God had laid out long before. They are going to live in the covenant that was made with Moses. The victory was not the victories that Nehemiah, the people of, of, in Jerusalem experienced. The victory was not rooted in something new they did, but in doing what they already knew to do. And that's where our victory lies. We don't need to come up with something new. We need to go back to the basics and go, what did God already say? And if we're faithful to it, then there's victory. And while they committed to fill the entire Mosaic law, they really center on four issues that were confronting them. So Nehemiah, start with Nehemiah 10, verse 1. On the seal are the names of Nehemiah the governor and then a whole bunch of other people. Okay, all the way down. 27 verses of people who are going to sign this covenant. But who are they? Nehemiah, the governor, says, first and foremost, me. And then the priests, and they get named. And then the Levites, they get named. And then the chiefs of the people in administrative roles, they get named. 27 verses of people who are either priests, Levites, or chiefs of the people, and they are going to sign the document on behalf of everyone. That would be in Avalon Church as if we were doing a document that says, we as Avalon Church recommit ourselves to God. We're going to go back to the basics and we have written it and Jim is going to sign it and so is Art and William and John. And the elders are going to sign it. Rich and Dunn and Ryan and Joseph and the deacons are going to come forward and sign it. And then we're going to get all the ministry leaders, the men's ministry, the women, they're all going to sign it on your behalf because that's what we believe in. So who signed it? Everybody in some form or fashion because afterwards in 1028 it says everyone concurred. Everyone concurred. So what's the first promise? Here it is. Verse 29, the first promise join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. They said, on the, uh, on the risk of a curse, we're going to go back to the book. The book is going to mean everything to us. Now, they, they didn't have the joy of holding the book in their hand like you and I do. They had to wait for a, a priest to stand and read like they had done in the previous chapters. But this was a commitment that says we want to go back to the word. It's a commitment to do something. We will embrace every word that God has provided for us and live by it. Do you ever wonder who... Who really can make an impact in the spiritual and Christian world? Not sure. Probably Art, Pastor Jim, maybe, you know. But you know, God has a whole different view. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles 16.9 describes for us who God is looking for. Second Chronicles 16.9, who God is looking for to really make a difference in the world. 
2 Chronicles 69, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless and whole towards him. That's what God wants. God says, if you will be fully committed to me and to the things I've already told you to do, you will have an incredible impact in the world as individuals and as a church. A commitment to the world. They are fully committed to him. They are willing to bear the curses of God if they fail to abide by the words of God. I, I tell every Discovering Avalon membership class as we talk about the, the doctrinal belief we have about this being the inerrant words of God, I tell them if we are committed as Avalon Church to preach and to teach the Bible, if we ever, if we ever get a week, oh God forbid, two weeks, where this is not opened up and taught from, you need to come up and just slap me silly. Because we are committed to the word of God. Do we trust him enough? Are we committed? We've got to be willing to be serious enough to say, God, if I don't spend some time in your word this week, you feel free to just make my life miserable. That's the commitment they made. That was one. We promise we will submit to God's word. Second, second promise is to separate from the world. Separation from the world, verses 28, and then kind of jump to 30. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the people, servants, the temple servants, and all who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land, jump down to 30, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. First, first promise was we will commit to something. We'll commit to the word of God. The second promise is, wow, we can't really commit to the word of God and be wholeheartedly and fully committed to you unless we separate from the things that distract us. Now, in their case, it was intermarriage. And God is very specific about this. He warned them over and over again, do not intermarry, do not intermarry. You are a holy people with a unique way to worship, a unique God who has, who has called you his people. Do not intermarry. It's total devotion to God. It's like, it's like in marriage when a man and a woman say, okay, we are separating ourselves from all other possible mates and committing ourselves, giving ourselves totally to each other. God says the same thing, and it's very practical. It really is. It's not, I just don't want you to be around those people. God understands and understood and taught them that the purity of your faith and the holiness of your lives are totally dependent on you separating yourselves from the others. Because when they had heathen spouses, when a man might choose to marry a daughter of a heathen country, after the wedding, what they did is they said, the wife can bring her idols into the house and put them up on the mantle. And while the man may say, that doesn't bother me because I know it's just a piece of wood, it was too big for Solomon. If you're in Nehemiah 10, flip over just 
a few pages to Nehemiah 13, 13.26. And Nehemiah says to them, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. And he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. And you're going, well, I don't know that I need to worry much about marrying foreign women. Well, yeah, we do. Because God has an instruction for us in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 6.14. 2 Corinthians 6.14. It's going to sound really, really similar to what we just read out of the Old Testament. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Okay, there's a direct application there, I guess. Young men, young ladies who are still single, God says Old Testament principle, New Testament direction, do not marry an unbeliever. Don't date an unbeliever because you might end up marrying an unbeliever. And you're going, so what? It will corrupt the purity of your faith and the holiness of your lives. Don't do it, he says. Okay, go. Man, I'm, I'm married. It's all good. I don't have to wrestle with this unequally yoked thing. Yeah, we do. Because it's what does light and darkness have to do in any kind of binding and bonding relationship? We are to be in the world, Jesus was in the world, but not of the world. And in the moment I start to create bonding relationships like this with those who do not share my faith, I run the direct danger of corrupting the purity of my faith and the holiness of my lives. And the people, the people of Nehemiah's time said, we will separate. Do you know how hard that must have been? For them, other places not delineated here, it might have been, I'm married to Debbie who was a, you know, a Moabite woman and she's not a, of the Jewish heritage and I'm going to commit to separating myself and I tell her she's got to go. Well, that doesn't seem fair, right. But I shouldn't have done that in the first place because do not be unequally yoked. Okay, so far you're doing good. Okay, I think I'm good. You know, one more application. Please, he says, do not be unequally yoked to things. What? You realize the Jews in Jerusalem did not have the internet? One there. Okay? No smartphones. No football televised on TV on Saturday nights for hours. Because sometimes you and I can become unequally yoked to things. My Georgia football team lost horribly last night. And you know what? (laughs) Heal that man! (laughs) And it is sad to admit to you that I had trouble sleeping last night. 
No, no, no. Dead serious. Dead serious. And, and I'm reminded, I, I think Bill Jones is the guy who said, it's, it's just teenage boys playing a game. But somehow, somehow, I am really bonded to this. Oh, we have fun talking about it. You know, if LSU had a team, Ira and I would, you know, be going back and forth, okay? <laughs> but I found the pattern of my life disrupted because teenage boys lost a game. Should I stop watching football? I don't know. Maybe. Should I stop letting it have the influence it has that distracts me from God? Yes. Yes. Just give me Jesus. You know, when we do the day of fasting on Tuesday, and I really hope you're going to, I'm really praying about that. I'm looking forward to it. I know some of you are. One of the things it's going to do is going to reveal to you and me the things that subtly rob us of our total devotion to God. And I may need to separate from that. Third promise, verse 31. Verse 31, where is that? Oh, there it is. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. They are going to observe the Sabbath for God's people. And they had been making an excuse. The Sabbath was a clear direction in the Levitical law. On the Sabbath, you will do no work. But they found themselves a loophole. We got a loophole. We're not actually working. It's them that's working. We're just buying the stuff. And God says, foul flag. No, doesn't. Okay, the Sabbath. They are going to commit to the Sabbath. A day designed to honor God without distraction. Maybe that'll be Tuesday as you fast. A day of rest. It was a reminder. Jews, you are no longer slaves. You were slaves for 400 years. You're not slaves anymore. When you were slaves, you had to work seven days a week. You had no choice. I rescued you. You're not slaves. Take a day off and honor me. And when you do so, it's a day to declare the truth. To the unbelieving neighbors around them, to our unbelieving neighbors, it proclaims in a very practical way the truth that God is first in our lives. Well, I don't know that church attendance is all that important. I don't know. Sabbath, a day, a time that honors God, that we rest because we're not slaves to the driving influences of the world, and a day to declare the truth, this is how important my God is. It says they would then observe the sabbatical year. You go back and look at that, and that says every seventh year God said, don't do anything with the land. Plant no crops. Let it lay fallow. Let it restore. That took a bunch of faith to know that in the seventh year I was going to plant and harvest no crops. Well, where's the food coming from, God? And he says, trust me. So they said, all right, all right. We will go back to a whole year in the seventh year 
because we believe you, of not planting and harvesting. Oh, and what's more, also in the seventh year, all the debts I've incurred from y'all, I just, man, I have been sucking money out of you. You owe me big time. This is going to be great. I feel like a rich man. I could probably retire. Ooh, wait, it's the seventh year. And the law said, release everyone from their debt. Ground zero. That took some faith. Man, I was banking on that for retirement. And he says, no, no, no. God says, you must have the faith in me to sustain you so that you will release the debt because I'm more concerned about people than I am about money. Fourth promise. Fourth promise in verses 32 to 39. Let me read that together with you. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feast, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our fathers' houses at the times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of the ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord, also to bring to the house of our God, to the priest who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God. And to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all of our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, will be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up, to, bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priest to minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. This is what this commitment looks like. It's got a number of elements. They say we are responsible. We make an obligation to make sure the work of the house of the Lord continues. In verse 32, they said, we take on ourselves an obligation, a commitment. Verse 35, we obligate ourselves. We take responsibility for what is ours before God, and we will do it. It is obedient giving. It is obedient giving because as we were reading, like in verse 34, they would say, we're going to do it, we're going to do it, as, as is recorded or as according to the law of God as it is written in the law. Verse 34, as it is written in the law. It's nothing new. It's not, wow, what a great way. It's God told us from the very beginning, let's renew the commitment to it and let's trust him in it. It's, we're responsible and we need to be obedient and it's orderly and intentional. It wasn't haphazard and then just, okay, let's do that. They brought a third of a shekel each year a third of a shekel, and a set time to bring wood. There was a set time to bring a third of a shekel. There was a set time to bring wood. Exodus is, is this is rooted in Exodus 30, which Exodus 30, verses 11 to 16, um, here's what they 
Here's this reads like. The Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall bring a ransom for his life. <laughs> wow. That means I know who I am. I'm a captive. I need to bring a ransom for my life to the Lord when you number them, that there'll be no plague among them when you number them. Each who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel. Wait a minute, a third a shekel? Yeah, times are rough and God understands that, okay? Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Half a shekel is an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich will not give more the poor will not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord offering to make atonement for your lives. He said, oh, we need to remember that we have been redeemed. We'll, we'll be orderly and intentional. We're going to do it on a schedule. We, we're going to cast lots to see when it's my turn to bring wood. Okay, And I, I put it on my calendar because it's orderly and intentional. It is proportionate. Everybody can bring wood Everybody could bring wood, gather wood. Even if you couldn't bring things of gold, you could bring wood. Leviticus taught that if a family could not afford the cost of a young bull, a male goat, or a lamb, which probably relatively expensive, they were able instead to bring two doves or two young pigeons because it was proportionate. The message was everyone should give and everyone can to the work of the Lord. It was sacrificial. Verse 35, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and our first fruits of the tree of the tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Uh, we will also bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle. Wow, now it's getting beyond just a buck out of my wallet. This is saying, I commit my entire family to you. It's comprehensive. Firstborn, sons and animals. God's not just interested in a dollar bill. And finally, it was prescribed. They were not only to bring the first, but they were to bring a tithe. And tithe is just a word that means tenth, as defined in Leviticus 27.30. You'll bring a tenth of all of these things to the house of the Lord. They didn't question it. They had gotten away from it for a hundred years, but then they read the words of the, of the law and they came under conviction, and they confessed their sins to one another and to God, and then they committed and said, we're back. We will support God's work. And rather than giving a certain amount as an obligation for us today, we are urged in the New Testament to share generously of whatever talents, abilities, and wealth God has entrusted to us. And for most of us, that's an amount that's far above 10%. Here's the bottom line of the fourth promise. We will not neglect the house of our God. Nothing new, just a new commitment. Perhaps you remember my challenge from last week to start giving. If you've not ever given, start with $100 a month. Start this month, $100 a month. How could you do that? Well, the typical way is to pick up one of these that's in the chair in front of you. Another way would be text to give. Write that number down, 407-499-8499. You call that number and it'll walk you through how to set up a text to give account. Because for many of you, that's going to be a great way 
to support God's work. I really want to encourage you to, to, to take an envelope home with you today, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. Okay. The four promises cover, isn't this interesting? The four promises cover the most important components of our life. We are required to answer the question, what will I do with God? Will I be fully devoted to him? What will I do with people? How will I identify my priorities and who I bind and bond with? What will I do with my time? Will I trust God enough to actually take a day off to honor him and rest in his salvation? And what will I do with my money? Nothing new, all the old principles. All right, last thing, please. Tuesday is a day of fasting. If you have not been able to print this off on my email, there's, there's probably 60 copies of the Guide to Fasting out in the lobby that you could pick up. I am really hoping and praying that Tuesday we, like the nation there in Jerusalem, will stand up together in our individual lives and say, this day I make a commitment to give up eating and then and then and then so that I can focus to God. This is how serious I am about this. And I hope that as you're fasting, whatever the Lord leads you to fast, and there's guidance in how to do that in the fasting guide, I hope that we will all pray about the condition of our hearts and forgive one another. I'll, let's ask the Lord to provide extraordinary clarity in the selection of our new pastor. We are so close, we just need him to send us an email. That clear. And he can, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. And you know what? Perhaps the first of the year we're going to have a new pastor. Praise God, that'll be exciting. But you know, he may have a vision a little bit different than what we're doing right now. So let's be praying that we have hearts of acceptance and that we're ready to accept change as God's man leads us. And really, take one of these home. And on Tuesday, just, just put it down in front of yourself and say, God, as I'm sitting here aware of all the things or aware of some things that I have allowed to be more important than you, is there something you want to say to me about support for God's work? When the people in Nehemiah's time got back to the basics, they rode in victory. They had a wall, a city, an identity, and we're back in right relationship with God. And we can do that too. Let's stand and pray.